Welcome back to the Down to Earth podcast. We've all heard the phrase, listen to your gut, but many of us have trouble figuring out what our gut is trying to tell us. We all have an inner voice and an intuition that is extremely strong and always knows best. However, due to the many distractions that we are surrounded by and the fast-paced lifestyle of our today's day and age, we often aren't receptive to the guidance of our inner voice and intuition. Well, it's time to change that. Our guest today is Todd Grosby. Todd is an acclaimed intuition coach and has studied metaphysics for many years. Todd has a lot of valuable knowledge to share with us on how we can all get into better touch with our intuition, how we can protect our energy against negativity, how to better alleviate anxiety, and how to live in more harmony and balance. Here we go. Welcome to the Down to Earth podcast. We're your hosts, sibling duo, Jonathan and Lorena. In this podcast, we'll be spilling the tea on all things health and wellness related. This podcast is designed to motivate you to take care of your physical, mental, and spiritual health. We'll be bringing on doctors, healers, fitness experts, business leaders, and innovators. Thanks for joining us in our mission of making the world a healthier, happier, and a more down-to-earth place. Here we go. Hey, Todd, how are you today? Good. How are you today? Good. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Of course. We're both very excited to chat with you and do a deep dive into your work, but I would love to get started by learning a little bit more about your background and what ultimately led you to this incredible career path of yours. Okay. Well, I was always different. I always felt different. And I guess the best way to describe that is I always felt when I was younger, people looked at me different and I, people would always come up to me and tell me all their problems. I was always into all things metaphysical. So I thought this was normal. I thought it was normal for people to come random strangers and dump their entire life story on me. And apparently it's not normal. And so I was always into everything metaphysical from a very early age. I was at bookstores. I was always consuming a lot of it. I had a, uh, Uh, My first psychic reading when I was about, I don't know, 17 in Los Angeles down at Venice Beach, and we just was totally into it. I thought it was the coolest thing ever. I've just been mesmerized and been passionate about spirituality ever since, but it didn't really start as a career field too much later in life. I had a reading at a school. This is when I met my first wife. I was married once before, and in Golden Gate Park in San Francisco, they had these students set up at this intuitive fair, and I got a reading from them. And I was so amazed with their accuracy and the insight they offered, I decided to go back and take their program. And it was a two-year intensive clairvoyant program, and I loved it. It was great. And this was about I don't know, fifteen years ago, and so I did practice doing readings at fairs and festivals and teaching a little bit how to develop intuition, but then stopped for about 10 years to take care of family. So I have a traditional background in sales and marketing from real estate to baskets at farmers markets to online advertising. So I have a whole host of sales careers that I've had in the past. And so when I finally did a reading, I was at a fair and it was kind of funny. I'm looking around. I'm like, oh my God, I'm, I'm at a psychic fair all these years to become a carny. I, I never know. You know what I mean? So it was really bizarre, surreal sort of experience when I did it. And then the pandemic rolled around and I jumped online. I I had avoided social media probably up until this point. I have three kids, so it's like a challenge to get them off of social media. So it was really like the bane of my existence. And then the pandemic rolled around. I decided to embrace it and jump in. And I I love it. And it's great. It's It's been phenomenal to be able to connect with people all over the world, develop my abilities doing short form video, which is very challenging. And that's probably it in a nutshell. I mean, along the way, I've had a lot of unusual events that have happened to me. And I think overall, though, I, I'm, it's not something that's new to me. It's something that's always been a level of familiarity, but I never stop learning. I'm always studying and trying to improve upon my ability to become better at what I do, better understand people, find different alternative ways to tap into intuition. And the exciting part is that it's endless. The amount of information you obtain and the practice you can do, it, it never ends. And when you realized that like you were different, I like that you mentioned that you like noticed that from a young age and that you were drawn to things that maybe were different than most of your peers. Did you embrace that right away? Did you try to reject it for a little bit or you just like embraced it and then just try to learn as much about these interesting topics as you could? So I embraced it because I was fascinated by it because I thought it was the coolest thing ever. I couldn't understand why other people weren't interested in it. It just blew my mind that somebody wouldn't be interested in this concept. 
I didn't come from a family that was def- that was necessarily accepting of it, but they weren't rejecting of it either. To this day, a lot of them doesn't they don't believe in a lot of it, and so I think that's probably common for a lot of people. In my particular case, in the past, I've noticed that a lot of people came to this through really kind of challenging childhoods, right? You know, the, the, the notion is that your intuitive abilities can be greatly enhanced when other aspects of your ability to feel and your other emotions are oppressed and suppressed. So it kind of forces that hand a little bit. I think for me, that the notion of feeling different about it, I also had a really high pitched tone to my voice. So that was also a unique identifier for me that people judged me for. And so I think having that sort of helped me out in terms of moving forward with it. Now, I didn't, jump online and do all that without having to do a lot of work behind associating myself with the work. Like I said, I came from a traditional background, sales and things, and it doesn't quite fold into the world of past lifetimes and, and, and energy work. So for me, psychologically, to do the work was probably more challenging than identifying myself as maybe an intuitive person throughout most of my life because it didn't really affect my day to day. But now everyone I know and anyone I've ever encountered has seen me online. So it's like cat is out of the bag. Now you mentioned that there were some events that happened in your life that kind of brought you to where you are. Is there one really significant event that comes to mind? As far as doing the work, probably my middle child who suffered a lot with mental illness. And in general, I've been around a lot of people that have really struggled with the concept of being a highly sensitive person. And so from my work and what I've done, I've realized that it's not just an emotional situation. There's also an, there's a, there's an intuitive aspect at play here. And I just felt passionate about it. And so she went into a hospital for suicide watch, which was a devastating thing for a family to have to experience. And so when she went into the hospital, I didn't get a chance because it was really far away to see her before she went in. And so I had chance to sort of think about it. I was sitting outside with my other daughter and all of a sudden I had a vision. Now I'm not really prone to visions. And when I say vision, I mean like a really clear image of seeing my daughter and some other girl who was in the hospital with her with like these black horn rim glasses, really very specific imagery, blonde hair and the whole thing. So the first thought is because you're overwhelmed with the circumstance of what's going on is okay. Is my child in danger? And so that's the first thing that hit my mind, but it was really clear. So when I went and saw her at the hospital the next day, the first time we could visit her, uh, that's one of the first questions I asked. I asked her, I said, hey, look, I I know this is a tough situation here, but is there anyone in here that fits this description? And she said, she's right behind me. And so it was pretty remarkable because it was an intense validation for that experience. But for me, it was a deeper meaning. The deeper meaning was that a lot of these kids that are in the hospital struggling, they're struggling because there's this other element at play here that no one can really identify and teach and speak to. And it really has to do with these extrasensory abilities. And when you, when you talk about a highly sensitive person, there's the emotional sensitivity, but then there's the energetic sensitivity. So my connection with this young girl at this place and her sending me this vision or however it played out, for me, it was a validation to, wow, it's just the connection that we can connect on different levels rather than getting too detailed about the what and the how and the why. It was more of like a realization that so many people are struggling with this. And it, for me, it was like, okay, I, I got to go full force in this because I feel like a lot of people will benefit from what I can offer in terms of even some of the conversations. But more importantly, I think that the notion of, of mental illness is something that is an epidemic. I live in the city of Portland where there's homeless people everywhere, and it, it largely is because of mental illness. And so the mental illness title doesn't quite do enough to describe the actual experience, in, in my opinion, of what's actually transpiring. So that particular one that was pretty spectacular, because I told my other daughter about it, before we went to the hospital was very validating. But at the same time, it was like, okay, I think I can figure out something to do. And this figuring out part is still a work in progress for me to help people understand and meet those moments of being a highly sensitive person, because it's really challenging, especially for kids. Cutting has become an incredibly popular thing for kids to use to cope with this overwhelming emotional overload. And so I feel like some of the stuff that I'm offering can at least give a different on-ramp to I guess, care, or if not, at least an awareness, because a lot of the work that I do is really predicated on imagination work. It's utilizing your imagination to tap into the spirit realm. And that's essentially what's happening. Yeah. And it really is a shame that, you know, mental health is on the rise and it's becoming a lot more prevalent. And I think a lot of people are developing it at a younger age than probably before, 
What do you think are some of the reasons why mental health does continue to to rise every single year? Do you think it has to do with, you do a lot of intuition work? Do you think a lot of people maybe aren't fully connecting with their intuition or like their life's purpose? Or what do you think are some of the culprits and, and how could we potentially find solutions to it? I think the number one culprit is a lack of emotional solvency. I think the problem is that generationally, there's been, my parents are boomers, their generation was like the suck it up generation. I had a chance to care give for my mom who had Parkinson's and sort of unpack her life with her. And so she definitely assumed the role of like the madman type wife that like subservient, not subservient, but of service to her husband. And, you know, so at the end of that road, that's not really what she wanted to do. And she came from a family that really didn't give a lot of permission to experience this sort of emotional sort of well-being. So for me, it's all really driven by a parent's ability to be emotionally present for their child. And I think what has happened over time is that that's always been a bit of a struggle. If you think about it, psychology in its modern form hasn't been around for very long. And then you introduce technology and communication and phones. And I think there's an information overload that's taking place. And there wasn't a really strong foundation in terms of how to manage and deal emotions. So those two compound each other, because the problem now is that you can get the world's information to you. And these amazing apps that can deliver instant contact also has the same problem. It's instant contact. So there's very little time for reflection. There's very little time to disengage and think about how you feel about what just happened. If it was a text and somebody upset you, whatever it happened to be, there's not a whole lot of permission to be able to sit and say, what am I feeling right now? So I really feel like the number one culprit as it relates to mental health is really just emotional well-being and the, the ability to navigate sitting with difficult emotions. And I think that it just hasn't been taught. And so I'm optimistic because it seems to start seeping its way into the school systems now, but I think that's the main reason in my opinion. Yeah. And I think the good thing is that people are talking about it more as well. So yeah. like, it takes away the stigma of it. Whereas I feel like maybe back in the day, people were a lot more secretive if they felt these things. Absolutely. So, yeah. The more open people are and like you talking about things like this on social media and being really open about it as well, I think helps continue that conversation. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a challenge. My heart goes out to these kids because in many ways it's a very difficult time to the, every parent or every person could probably say, Hey, this is the most difficult time, but really the, the uh, communication Uh, the change in communication is really mind blowing and it continues to change. And it's like often overlooked because it's always stigmatized. Oh, just get off your phone. You know, I have girls. So there's always the stigma, like don't spend so much time on social. It's like this technology has been dropped on us within five or six years. It's completely pervasive in all culture. There's never been any, even as a parent, you're not getting a rule book on how to parent your kids. You know, I don't know why parents don't do this. I'm doing it for my kids, but they don't really tell you, Hey, here's what to expect. When you're an individual, you have your own needs. When you become a couple, now it's the needs of two of you. So there's two of you. And when you come a family, the needs of the family have to take center stage. And subsequently, each individual members of the family have to find a way to be able to meet their needs while subsequently merging into the family's needs. So I think it's a dynamic role at play here. And then when you have the distractions of phone and connection, which is great, but it's also not very conducive to giving yourself those moments that you need to be able to think about how you feel about what's going on. Absolutely. So, now, when you talk about highly sensitive people, what does that what does that mean? Because I actually haven't heard that term until I saw it on your social media. So I'm curious what that entails. So it's probably an older term. I think a more modern term might be coined as empathic. My personal interpretation of it is probably a little bit more expansive than just considering, hey, you're, you're very emotional, right? Because the cliche would be, oh, you're an emotional person. When I say something, you get triggered easily. I mean, we can, we can make an argument to say the world we live in now is a highly sensitive world. Everyone's triggered. Everyone wants, wants everyone to say what they want to hear rather than having a conductive, a, a more, a more, a healthier conversation that looks like I talk, you listen, you hear what I say. If I say something that's upsetting to you, then the work is to figure out why am I upset? What did this person say? And so the highly sensitive person, there's that element, that element of being emotionally capable to be able to hear something and not respond to it. Or even if you respond internally, squelch the fire so you can be able to go, okay, this isn't personal, even though this person said whatever. And even if it seems like it was personal because they attacked you, it's still healthy to look at it from a non-personal level. And so I feel like it's just a challenge. That alone is a challenge. I believe there's another component of play here, and this is the invisible component. 
the ability of clairsentient, which is an ability of the second chakra. That's the ability as an individual to actually experience other people's emotions and run their emotions through their body. And it's the easiest way to look at it is like energy. If somebody screams and yells on television or there's, there's something terrible that happens, you can feel the emotions as if you were there, yet you're only sitting in front of a screen watching pictures. So it's an interesting analogy where the body tends to respond to things as if it's actually happening to it. Intuitive ability that people have is highly sensitive. People was kind of described in the example I gave of the mental hospital when the kid tapped in me through, through pictures. My, my take on it, what I was taught and what I believe is that the body's language is emotions and the body's always in the present moment. Your spirit's language, on the other hand, are pictures and it works through symbols and, and imagery. And there's also components that play here. So a highly sensitive person could actually, I mean, I, I have this almost as an affliction with my family. My, my kid has a problem and there's a problem with their stomach and I feel it upstairs and I feel this intensity in my stomach. So I have this affliction, if you will, because it is an affliction at times when you can't manage it and it's overwhelming to a very high degree. I think it's what enables me to do readings and things that I do quite effectively because I have a really great capacity to connect with other people. So that's what I, I, I see as a highly sensitive person, emotional as well as this intuitive capacity. Very interesting. Now, for people who might be highly sensitive people, or I think anyone in general, right? Yeah. Oftentimes, if we encounter people who might be negative or draining. You might go to dinner with a friend and then notice that you're exhausted after, even though it's supposed to be a fun event. People's energy, I mean, in my opinion, does transfer onto us whether or not we want it to sometimes. So yep. how do we prevent this from happening? Or if this does happen, how do we cleanse ourselves of this? Because although we would love to surround ourselves with only positive people, sometimes your co-workers, your family, your friends, your spouse, even sometimes you can't avoid it. Exactly. And I really think that you kind of want to be around people on occasion that either going to tell you you're full of it or that lights you up, that trigger you, because that gives you the capacity to understand why you're feeling what you're feeling. So one, one method is to be curious, is to recognize that if it's your temperament to be responsive to somebody else, if they've done something to annoy, frustrate or whatever, I, one of the things I do is I put my hand over my heart because I'm a very heady person and I talk a lot. And then the intuitive piece is more of like a knowing thing. And so when I'm able to center myself sort of in my heart and just take a deep breath in and talk to myself and say, oh, this isn't personal, that's what really helps me out a lot. Then the other piece of it is that it's difficult to do it in a moment. So the way to look at it is to practice. You have people in your life that you know are going to trigger you and say things. So what you do is you plan for the next time you see them. I have to see aunt so-and-so. She's always just flying off the mouth, you know, whatever it happens to be. But by preparing to go into it, to think, well, this time I'm going to handle it differently. When she says whatever, I'm just going to breathe and say, this isn't personal. This isn't personal. Now, I also do the energy work, which is more of imagination. And I can imagine, okay, where am I at here? Am I grounded? mentally and imagining, hey, am I connected to the earth? Imagining where her energy comes into me as a color and sending it back to her. Now, I mean, I teach and understand these things th this way, but because it is your imagination, the sky's the limit in terms of your capacity, in terms of what you create to sort of negotiate this, because it, it is possible to handle it on both fronts. One would be the emotional. I want to become more emotionally resolved through positive self-talk, prepare yourself for the moment. And then when you're in the moment, try some of these imagination tools. And then at the end of the evening, if it didn't work out and you lost it, it's a reevaluation of what happened. You start thinking, okay, at what point did I kind of lose it? Oh, when she said whatever. And then not being hard on yourself for not getting it right. Understanding that it's, it's a work in progress to develop and cultivate the ability to meet the present moment and to not be too upset by it. Because I think that's the challenge is that how do you figure out? Because you... You want to live in a world where it doesn't matter what anyone else does. You're totally capable of handling the situation. At least that's my perspective on it. And so I hope that helps. I like that you mentioned that because it kind of goes back to what you said earlier is you are going to be surrounded by so many different people that may trigger you or may have a different opinion than you. And I think that's healthy, but being able to be in control of your reaction, right? the outside world, because you can't control the outside world, but you can control your reaction. That's it, hundred percent. The other trick that I do is I find it's really effective. It's helpful for me because I talk fast and I think fast, but it's really helpful to ask open-ended questions of the other person, especially if the other person is completely out of order. And that happens, right? I mean, the world's full of people that are less than noble and they're going to say whatever. Sometimes they're saying it just to get a rise out of you. And then you can realize it's a game. The more self-aware you can be in the interaction, the more you'll be aware of what's happening. Then the better 
position you are in to ask that person an open-ended question. It's kind of like haters in, on the internet. When people put in a comment and say something offensive, the temptation is to say, how dare they? And you hit me, I'll hit you back, or just to delete them and get rid of them, which is probably the best strategy. But I've always felt like it's an opportunity to demonstrate in, in a text form meeting the moment by asking the person further questions. Because if somebody says, hey, Todd, you got crooked teeth. Yeah, I got crooked teeth. What do you want me to do? You want to pay for Invisalign for me? Feel free. I'll put a, a GoFundMe out there. But if it's something a little bit more different and a little more nuanced about what I'm talking about, whatever, I just find by asking additional questions. Like somebody just said something now, like whatever the post was, that's a stupid idea. And so I said, oh, really? Well, what part about it did you find stupid? And so by forcing them not to just lob out grenades, because the internet can do that. I know a lot of people just like starting fires and leaving under the guise of being woke, but I think that they're just stirring it up. But by asking a couple more questions, that forces them to think about what they said. And amazingly enough, most of the time, they just end up deleting their post because they realize how terrible they're going to look if they respond to it. So I feel like that's the game. The game is, hey, it's crazy here. Emotions are crazy. How am I going to be able to handle these things? I do think there's also probably food as a culprit. People don't necessarily look at it this way, but I had two kids that struggled with severe food intolerance, soy being one of them, and they're both girls, so it caused significant emotional reactions. So I would say that the foods you consume, the media that you consume, will all directly affect your ability to be able to start managing your emotions. So I think that there's a connection on all fronts, really. Absolutely. I think that definitely explains it really well. And then I saw a great post that you put up about how like sometimes friends will call us sometimes vent, ask us for advice if they're right. going through something hard and sometimes they genuinely need it. And then you also spoke about how sometimes they just want to like unload and like sort of put their issues onto right. you, totally. which could be draining. So for a lot of us out there that, you know, want to be good people, we want to be there for those that we love. We want to help yeah. them through tough times. How do we find that balance of like being there and being selfless, but also protecting ourselves and not allowing other people's issues to drain us as well? I think, again, if you can, if you can dilute it down to moments, because the challenge with all of this is I'm a big fan of Eckhart Tolle, the, the power of now and the present moment. But as we all know, the present moment is very elusive. I mean, we're not spending our time in the present moment for any given part of the day. So when you think about certain people that you know that are going to trigger you, then it's fun to think about it as a game and think, OK, this person's always driving me crazy. So where am I losing my space when I talk to them? Some, there's another great book called The Body Keeps the Sport. This keeps the score. It's about trauma that exists within your physical body. You have a traumatic experience in childhood, and then somewhere within your body, the trauma lives. I'll give you another really quick story. My, old, my father passed away about 20 years ago. He was in the hospital, and he was terrified. He was terrified to die, and he took him a while before he passed away. I was living away, so I didn't, didn't get a chance to see him as much, but at one moment in time, he was in the hospital there, and he was terrified, and I held his hand. I said, don't worry. Dad, Evan's going to be fine, and he's like looking at me because they did some procedure, and he just, I could see the fear in his eyes. So fast forward three months, I'm getting some energy work done by a friend that does something in between Reiki and cranial sacral therapy, and all of a sudden, she goes, oh my gosh, there's this energy right in, right in your lower back, and as soon as she said that, I instantly flashed to that image of my father grabbing my hand for dear life, and I realized at that moment, oh, I just took on all of his energy, and so then I, I just dumped it, and it felt great. So on a day-to-day -day basis with people, you wanting to be there for them. I think it's helpful to ask yourself these questions. Do they really want my help? What do they really want? You know, it's sort of sizing them up. And I think that by being aware of that, you can recognize as to, oh, they're just dumping. And then in your mind, you can just imagine that, okay, well, let me just, while they're talking to me, I'm just going to send their energy back to me. Now, a lot of times I talk about these things, right, without giving clear instructions. But the weird thing about it is that it doesn't really require anything other than the presence of mind and then your imagination. You just imagine, hey, I'm going to send their energy back to them. I think the reason why this works, I do believe in the spiritual piece, but I think the, re the main reason why it works is because when you're upset and somebody triggers you get angry, you get into your head right away and you're thinking, oh, how dare they? Why did they? And you start talking and the little pass in your head is continuing to fire you up versus when you go into your imagination, it's a different brainwave. You're going somewhere else. You're problem solving by thinking about sending them their energy back, right? So I think that that's in the frequency of creativity. And I think it gets you out of your head. And I think it makes you less likely to be as emotionally triggered by it. I can't prove that, but I think that's the case. I like that. I'm going to try that next time. Yeah, because you want to be there for friends. I mean, the last thing you want to do is leave your friends hanging. But the awareness comes in realizing, oh, they don't really even want help. 
they want yeah. maybe just to hold my energy. So then that becomes an energy management thing. The, the rule of thumb is that if you ever feel really overwhelmed, the likelihood is that you took on your friend's energy. And like, if you know you're that type of person, it's very helpful at the end of each day to find some sort of, you know, routine to say, all right, like when I do readings for people, so when I do readings, I imagine talking to them. And when I'm done, I imagine setting their energy back. I call my energy back, make some sort of imaginary closure between it. I mean, that won't solve all of it, but it will solve enough of it. And then give you a chance to think about what do you think was really going on with them? But then the other trick really is the open-ended question. It's like the magic ace in the hole. Because if you if they start unloading you and giving you their problems and you ask them a question that's a little bit more broad-based, it forces them to think about what they're going through from a, a position other than wanting to dump, complain, then you're kind of forcing them to problem solve, right? You know, rather than just like, hey, you solved my problem for me. Yeah, I like that. And I think it also depends like if it's a once in a while thing or if someone's constantly calling you, right? Like looking at patterns right. as well and like seeing- totally. Yeah, seeing how how often it happens. I really feel like relation. I've been in two marriages; they didn't work out, unfortunately. So I'm a bit of an expert. <laughs> I'm a bit of an expert when I get divorced. But I, I really feel like I, this last marriage I ended five years ago, and I feel like I've done a lot of work to understand. One of the main takeaways I've had so far, beyond having three wonderful kids, and I, I think very highly of my ex. It's very amicable, but I really feel like the purpose of it is to understand yourself better. That this person has come into my life to give me the opportunity to get to know myself better. The people that come into your life that trigger you and get you really upset or there is they're giving you an opportunity i mean they're giving you an opportunity to work this level of energy and i think that once you start working it and you you get this epiphany that oh my god it's not personal they're only dumping because that's the only thing they know how to do and the world of narcissists right narcissism is everywhere right and so that is a coping mechanism from somebody who really struggled in childhood and had the self-preservation so once you can see the big picture and not take it personal I've had a lot of chance to practice though. I got three daughters. I have my ex-mother-in-law. I got, you know, I got a lot of people <laughs> I've had a lot of practice with because I either came out doing well on social media or I was going off the rails. So I didn't have too many options. Well, I'm glad that you came out on the other side in a positive yes, way. Definitely. And I know yeah. you talk a lot about signs as well. And if you look at these interactions with people or what's triggering you, or like when I see patients and I see the same kinds of patients, I'm like, to me, I visualize it as a sign that I have yes. my own healing to do yeah. and it kind of leads me in that direction. Absolutely. That's one of the clear, especially who's uh, somebody who's a reader or a therapist or somebody who's a healing practitioner. Yeah. You, you, there's a storyline that runs through all of your readings. There's always some sort of message in there for you. I did this other post, this other technique that was taught to me is this concept of matching pictures. It has to do with the notion is that you have an aura around your body within that aura is contained information. And a lot of that information is in the form of pictures, some of its energy and so when you meet somebody in the world, you realize you have a match with them. And so the concept is similar to homeopathy, where you can kind of meet this matching picture in this other person, because typically you're unconscious to it. You're looking right at it. You can't see it. But when you think that you've done multiple sessions with clients, then you start thinking, wait a minute, there's a, there's a running story in here about. And then you realize, oh, because it's easy to get lost in clients and not do your own work. And remember, wait a minute, this person's there for a reason. I feel like the idea of science for the universe is also very helpful because it kind of gets you out of this sort of unconscious state in the world. And I think you can program yourself to get signs. And the trick is to sort of understand that signs can be very, in this particular case with clients, it's sort of easy to see. But then on a day-to-day -day basis, they can be a little bit more subtle and a little bit more abstract. But I would argue that they're really there all the time. I think if and once I, you're open to seeing the signs, you can't unsee them, but I think you have to first. Open. Yeah. Do you think that we can see signs in our dreams as well? I used to be a really big fan of lucid dreaming. I used to keep dream journals forever. It's like something I've always been very passionate about. I've always been under the impression that I always thought the dream world is probably closer to the next stage of our development than our physical world. I feel like dreams offer an invaluable opportunity to gain insight because I, I'm a big passionate fan about it. I also wondered the other day that like, gosh, do you think that we're just dreaming all the time? Because I know recently it used to be only REM sleep, but now they know that dreaming sleep actually takes place during other parts of sleep as well. And so it just made me think, okay, so in my particular case, I can be extraordinarily present, but then I can also be very unpresent and, you know, floating. But the, the concept is driving in the car. You missed your freeway. You missed your exit on the freeway. It's like, where did I go? Like, obviously I was driving the car, but I went unconscious. And by unconscious, I mean, not paying attention, not aware. And so I feel like this, this level of awareness is, is fleeting and that 
it could very well be that we're just dreaming all the time. I don't know. I mean, I always have questions that hit my mind and like, okay, that one's too big for my head. For me, ultimately, it comes down to science is amazing. Science can tell you about almost depthly about the, the 95% that knows about, I mean, the 5% it knows about, but we don't know about the remaining 95%. I mean, our tools to measure our objective reality are limited to 5%. So there's most, the vast majority of it is unknown. So it would make sense to think that, hey, these analogies and dreams are metaphors for what goes on in your life because you're a therapist. That's right. I'm a naturopathic doctor. Naturopathic doctor. So like, so with your, with your clients, you know, there's certain storylines that come in. I think there's certain metaphors that come in or even certain topics that represent something's going on with them. And I would imagine a lot of times it's an emotional story that they're moving through that has been left unmet and it's turned and manifested physical. All the time. I see a lot of like thyroid conditions and I think a lot of it is often related to the throat chakra as well. Yeah. Yeah. Not, not having their voice, not being able to speak exactly. and then circling, circling back around to mental illness. So I, I feel like, yeah, these other components are at play here and it's difficult if you don't have the tools to, to, to help. If you can't even measure what's going on, the per- let's pretend that chakras are real, even though I believe in them, I can't prove them. And, and if your second chakra is wide open and you're feeling the weight of the world on you all the time, and they're giving you an SSRI or they're having you do cognitive behavioral therapy, and it's just not quite enough. It's because, well, that's because there's this other component here that I think you unlock the key with your imagination. Anyhow, that's my two cents on that. Yeah, no, I think that's a really interesting way to think about it. Now, for people who maybe want to open themselves up more to signs and like seeing things, because I think we live in such a fast paced world now where I think we're being guided every day. But a lot of people, like if you live in a really busy city or you're constantly on your phone or you're listening to music, like you might miss a lot of things. So what are some things that people could look out for? And what are some practices people could start to instill in their daily lives to sort of open up their horizons a little bit and be more observant of things that might be signs and might be guiding them? Sure. So one suggestion I have would be to, if since most everyone's got phones, is to put a reminder into into your phone, and have the reminder just say stop and look. Something to extend. Look in your environment. See if something catches your eye. If you don't train yourself to do this, then it's going to be really hard because, like as you mentioned, we live in a very busy world. I think the first step is reminding yourself that you're looking for this. The other one is to try to keep a complete open mind. In my experience, most of this spiritual work and experience and expansion is really related to your ability to be non-judgmental and just notice, hey, what's going on here? What's going on around me? The more you try and put effort, I might be splitting hairs here, but the more you try and put effort into it, the harder it is to achieve. Now, the flip side of that is the more time you spend practicing, cultivating a meditation practice, maybe going to yoga and doing things to improve the quality of your thoughts your overall well-being, that's kind of the work. But the actual phenomenon of being there in the moment, it's a no-effort space. So it's an interesting dynamic where you want to work really hard, yet when you're in the arena, you don't want to put any effort into it. So simply by postulating that the universe has signs for me is a great starting point. And then reminding yourself through these notifications on your phone, just to say, stop for a minute. Hey, what do you notice? Start becoming curious. And I think in doing so, you open up a little doorway into these things and hopefully find a way to merge them into your everyday life. One of the greatest tools that was taught to me as far as meditation was I do the dishes in my household. So you can get in touch with your breathing and mindfulness practice as you do the dishes. Otherwise, you'll be really angry because kids don't like to clean their plates. (laughs) Now, when it comes to signs, a lot of the times we assume the signs are from our guardian angels, which I do want to talk about a little bit as well. But you also, I've seen a post uh, by you that you said it can be a sign from your future self. Yeah. So how do you do that too? That's an interesting one. Cause again, I get lots of thoughts in my head and that's another, like, so there's a cathedral in Spain that have been working on it for 180 years. The name of escapes me for a moment. So I think the same should hold true with certain ideas and thoughts, right? Certain ideas and thoughts aren't necessarily complete. They, they require you to work on them over time. I had this thought that like, okay, so if friends of mine in this business tell me that we're all living the simultaneous existence at the same time. That's too much for me to <laughs> fit into my head to completely grasp that idea. But then if that's the case, then couldn't it be probable that 
since my physical body has to be in the present moment, my spirit could be anywhere. So in theory, couldn't my spirit be somewhere along my future timeline, helping me understand certain lessons? Then there's the idea that we're all the same anyways, we're all interconnected. You know, so the, the notion of having specific guides as it relates to that. I'm reading a great book called Journey of Souls. It gives another whole perspective on it for more information in my head. So I don't know if I'm my own spirit guide coming from the future. I don't know if I'm a a guy that's come from another dimension in here. I think the challenge with some of these things is that you're not going to know. So I think what's more important is cultivating a relationship with that voice. If that's the spirit me of the future, or if that's a guide or whatever it is. And that's one of the things I'm working on now personally is getting more in touch with this idea of listening to your inner voice. You know, because we've all heard that term before and we're all familiar with the, the chattering mind, right? The ego mind telling me I didn't do this right or I didn't do that right. You're never going to be successful or whatever that happens to be. But and then it's that other voice that's there that's entirely supportive of you, right? So I think part of it is, is opening yourself up to the idea and then I work with colors because I was taught that and it works well for me, even though I don't see very well. But then identifying that voice by timber, by color, or whatever it is, and then establishing a relationship over time. Now, it sounds like, well, <laughs> imaginary, a crew of imaginary friends here, right? So I think that you do it within the realm of being able to do it. But at the same point in time, I think it gives you a framework, framework to think about, okay, maybe it is my future self. If so, why so cryptic? How about, how about throwing me a bone down here? You know what I mean? You know, because I do find that the communication space in general from the spirit realm can be quite ambiguous and quite cryptic. So that's something that can be a, a, a turnoff to think like, well, why are these messages? Why am I seeing 1111 all over the place? What does that mean? They're going to drive me crazy. And that did happen to me for like the whole year. I'm seeing variations of it. My driver's license adds up to 11. My social security number adds up to 11. So all these signs, can drive you crazy if you let them. But if you stop and think about, well, what's really important here? Do I really need to know? Do I need to know how the turbine engine works when the plane goes from New York to Los Angeles? Or can I just trust that it gets me there? So in my particular case, I've had to let a lot of things go by. I'm not going to know that. I'll revisit it. But if it is my future self, I got a bone to pick with them. <laughs> Very interesting. I mean, again, I think that a lot of times people might feel really drawn to something, whether it's a passion or career choice they want to make and like thinking about it through the lens, maybe that's like your future self already getting to that place, yeah. sort of guiding you on how to get there. It totally. Be a good movie. And that's a big one too, because life purpose is a huge one, right? And I think that's something also, I think these spiritual things in general can be very challenging if people look at them from the sense of obligation. If you feel like, oh, because you, I've heard people say that before, oh, because you have these gifts, you should do this, that, and the other thing. I think the reality of it is, is that anything that you have, you want to be of service to improve your abilities first, right? Your capacity to experience difficult emotions, your ability to be more present with other people, doing the self-work not completely abandoning the world outside of you, that's what builds your resolve. And so some of this can be abstract. You know, artists get their, you know, the interesting thing is an artist, the information comes from somewhere else into their mind that comes out into form. So in many respects, artists and musicians are already dancing in this world of intuition and creativity and expression. So I think if you can take that model and just apply it to your own life and what that looks like by thinking out of the box, because that's the biggest challenge is because yes, the, the, I feel it all the time. I mean, even though I'm doing this work, I'm, I feel like I'm, I'm surfing half the time. I mean, not in a good way. I mean, it's just like everything's just rolling so fast. It's like, what's going on? How did I get here? Yeah. You know? So it's hard. You have to intentionally find a way to get in your own way as far as like, I need to stop and be present. I need to stop and pay attention to what's going on here. And I think that that gives you little snippets. And depending upon the busyness of your life, maybe you can't get in more than five or 10 minutes a day, but it's important to do the five and 10 minutes and then just build it up over time. Yeah. And I think that we live in a world where, again, like we spoke about a little earlier, because it's so fast paced and like we're all surrounded by so much noise. Yeah. I don't think a lot of people are fully connected with their intuition. Right. And I mean, I think for a lot of people who maybe lack confidence or self-esteem, when their intuition is trying to tell them something, they like automatically reject it rather right. than like exploring why their intuition is telling them that. So what are some tips that people could implement to like truly get more closely in touch with their intuition? And for people who might lack that self-confidence in themselves, what would you say in terms of when an idea comes up or like a feeling comes up, trusting that and going with it, even if it might be scary at first? 
So that's the, the, the leap of faith. That's an act of courage, right? To say, hey, what am I going to do? How am I going to do this? And so that's the first step is to, if you don't have the courage yet, you have to, you have to use, I guess it's a version of cognitive behavioral. You have to use positive self-talk to convince yourself that, hey, you know what? I'm going to be able to figure this out because what you say is very true because people were typically not validated during their childhood and anything that would come up like this would be invalidated. So when they get in touch with their intuition, no, that can never be true. So they're swimming upstream to a degree, but then finding a way to overcome that is deciding you want to do it, convincing yourself, although I'm not there yet, I'll figure it out. That's one piece. The other piece really is a stillness. I mean, when we live in a world, it's all about moving fast and stillness and quiet. So, I mean, that's easily... Uh, well, it's best met through meditation in one shape or form, taking time to sit with your thoughts. And what do I feel? Even if it's like the calm apps, great, that's 10 minutes. Even if it's only 10 minutes, it's giving yourself a chance to exist totally different than that 10 minutes than you're going to for the rest of the day. And then hopefully building upon that, because to ask somebody to jump in and understand there's these intuitive abilities and they're afraid of it, and then they were ridiculed when they were younger, that's a big ask to just jump right in and do it. So finding a way to mentally build yourself up saying, I will figure this out and then exploring. I mean, I've talked about a couple of things, but there's tarot cards, there's astrology. There's a lot of different muses to be able to find expression as well as, as as art and conversation, music. So I think that maintaining a healthy level of positive self-talk that you can convince yourself to do it and then start exploring with it and understand that it really does take validation. You can't improve your intuition without verifying. That's the challenge, right? If somebody doesn't tell you, hey, you're on point with that or yeah, that's right. And then you have to re you have to validate yourself. The, the other trick I would say is to validate your accomplishments, you know, to establish a healthy connection to self-empathy. Because the, the the problem is a negative narrative will spill over into how you feel and think about yourself. And that's been the common thread now to think these negative thoughts. So you have to find a way to say, gosh, I did a really good job. So it's like, you know, this isn't directly intuition, but I think it helps the mechanism that would fly in your face and say, no, that's not true. Sorry, I have to get water. No worries. Thank you for explaining that. Now, when you see clients, do you help them with this intuitive reading? And if so, what does that entail? So one of the things I do is I offer readings. I don't heavily promote it because it's a challenging thing to do. I really love it. I enjoy doing it. When clients come to me, it's either for a 15 minute, a 30 minute reading. I close my eyes and then I get impressions. I go through my own little imagination technique to set myself up. They come to me. I close my eyes. They say their name. And then these images pop in my head. I don't really see them, which is weird. I just kind of know that the images are there. And I talk for the first five minutes or so. And I just say whatever, so as you can tell, I like to talk a lot. So it's like, whatever just pops in my head, I just say it, I describe it. Typically it's an image. The image is a metaphor. I describe the metaphor and the image. Sometimes it's more, it's more clear cut, but the idea is that I'm not totally interested in wanting to peer into their world. I'm trying to help them understand themselves better, get in touch with their emotions better, maybe offer validation, you know, so the whole goal of it is to be able to connect them with themselves, ideally, or hold space for them so I can, you know, maybe help them validate something that they're doing. And so I do it from the perspective of, of like, I, I, I just want to see everyone once. Now, I know that's not realistic, but the whole idea is that I want to do it by hitting what I would call a core picture. Most people have core pictures that they operate off of and then other pictures that sit on top of that that are affecting from that one image. So that's the perspective I do it from, although it is unusual, I'm not going to lie, it's an unusual experience in the, in the beginning of it, I'm not really doing it to, to forecast futures or pull rabbits out of hats. It's really to connect to the person emotionally, help them connect to their own emotions, so then they can make better decisions for themselves or come to different awarenesses of what's going on. Of course, sometimes people come in with the expectation like, hey, give me some lottery numbers. I'm going to be playing on myself. What are you asking me for? You know. So it's like they come in with that. But I, one of the things I try to do on social in general, and the reason why I was interested in it, is I think people really need to think more. And I think that that's been taken away from them from the school system it's been taken away from them through social media there's it's really easy to just sit and consume and that's why i like to sort of ask a lot of questions i may do a video and i might have a really fixed position on what i think this is that i'm talking about but a sagittarius so i'll pivot and quickly change my opinion but 
I do it because it's more important for me to ask other people to get them to think. Now, I was trained in sales, and I know in sales, if I try to convince you of something, in general, nobody wants to be convinced of anything. But if I get you to say it and you say it, then you're sold. And in this case, I'm selling you on your ability to know that you know what's best for you. And so I know it's a big ask or whatever, where you have the ability to think about certain things. Of course, people want to tell you that's wrong. It's the eighth chakra. You know, people will have their opinions. I'm not really interested in that. I'm interested because people share a lot of information and you gain insight from it. But I'm far more interested in people really thinking, like, what do you think about that? What does that mean to you? How does that make you feel? And I feel like that's been lost. And I think that needs to come back. So that, that's kind of where I'm coming from with it all. Sounds very interesting. Yeah. I mean, we're going to have to try it out. We're going to have to do a reading at some point. Yeah, I think you like it. I mean, it's it's really nothing like I'm not going to tell you anything that's like people. It's I, I I used to do these fairs, high school grad parties when I lived back in California, and there's so much fun. It's, it's basically it's a safe place for the kids to go, and I'm like the hired entertainer, I'm like the, the <laughs> so it was like 10 p.m. to four in the morning, and I did it for like six or seven years. It was tiring, but a lot of fun because most of those kids had no expectations whatsoever. So it's a lot different than somebody coming to me saying. Todd, when am I going to meet my twin flame? Or was this the one? Did I let them go? You know what I mean? That's the general yeah. sort of gist of a lot of readings. In this case, these kids had no expectations. So it was a lot of fun. Forgive me. It was really quick though. So it's a very strange and dynamic thing. I haven't really done it online as much, but like live stream would be the way to do it. Only because I, I don't know, I don't know how valuable it is to sit there and watch other people get readings. So I'm, I'm a yeah. bit for sure. Now, when it comes to our intuition, I always wonder, like, if we feel really drawn to something, like, let's say something that's our passion, mm. is that perhaps our intuition telling us that that's something we should pursue? Or is it just like something that we might, for whatever reasons, want for inauthentic reasons, if you understand what I'm saying? Like, if we I feel like if we feel a very strong connection to doing something or like taking a certain path, even yeah. if it's completely opposite of what we're currently doing, is that something that's worth exploring or is that maybe something that's messing with our intuition and like leading us in the wrong path? I think it's a great question. Really is a great question because it, it goes along these lines of the difference between intuition and self-deception. And in, in this world of intuition, I have one here and I want to do with it. There's like pendulums you can use, like yes or no. I mean, I have tarot deck. I've always used it myself. I don't use it with clients because I think it's a great tool for abstract sort of impressions. But you're, when you want something, it's very difficult to overcome your desires. So the idea of using pendulum or muscle testing or something that requires your physical body, I've always been a little suspect because if there's a part of you that really just wants that, it's that your desire, then it's quite possible that's going to interfere with your little devices or whatever you're using because it's it's the battle between the worlds of desires and the world of knowing. I guess a, a book I'm reading on it recently, it's quite helpful. I don't have it in front of me. I'll get it before I leave. It has to do with your question as it relates to your inner voice and the idea of thinking there's one voice in your head that's more of the egoic voice. It's a quick answer. And generally, it's got a, a fearful sort of overtone of protection to it. But then there's another voice in there that's different, That's in, uh, at least in this context, right? It's more of your inner voice that's guiding you along the way. And that guiding along the way, I think, takes different form. So if you're thinking about a career change, there's the, going to be the practical aspect of, well, I can't afford it, this, that, and the other. The ego will come in and tell you, hey, what's that looking like? But then there's the part of you, hey, does this seem right to me? Are you able to generate images of what that would look like? Because that's the other piece, right? If you say, hey, I'm going to move to Jamaica, and then all of a sudden you start to visualize that and coming into form, then I think that's the dance. And there's a lot of learning curves there because it's challenging to overcome desires, very challenging. And so I think that that's a work in progress for each individual to develop that ability in time. And I think that I don't think there's an easy answer there. I think it's just practice and being able to become aware of your inner voice. So to trust your intuition as it relates to major life decisions is, is definitely possible. I think it just takes practice to understand your own unique individual process. Yeah. And something that I find is like, if I make a decision based on my intuition, even if the result is not what I wanted, I have more peace with that decision because I know right. that I listen to my inner voice rather yeah. than like doing the opposite because I think that's a more rational thing to do. I feel like it's easier to accept an outcome that might not be favorable if you yeah. actually like listen to yourself, right? Totally. And you figure it's part of a process because it could be that, hey, you made this change and you had a lot of energy and you're thinking a lot about it. And then you get it. And then for whatever reason, only lasts two months. So it's like, you know, it's hard to understand and know and recognize, you know, that everything you've done before that leads up to this moment all had meaning and purpose for you to understand whatever it is you're doing next. 
It's that cliche that there really is no accidents. There's just painful mistakes. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Do you believe that as well? That like, there's no such thing as a coincidence. Like we meet people for a specific reason. Like even if we yes. just meet them briefly, like everything has a hidden message and a reason. Yes. Unfortunately, I can take that too far. Like, why did I go left? I, my mind goes crazy with it. I think I used to go to a different, I used to go a different way to work every day with this idea that like, hey, if I travel the same pattern, it's important, you know, to have habits, right? Habits are great, but the habits can also keep you in this unconscious state of existence. Even if you're like a professional I don't want to scare anyone, but like, you know, you get acupuncturists can go unconscious at their work. That doesn't mean they're going to poke you eye with, uh, your eye with the needle. It just means that they're going through the same routine every day that promotes a sort of automatic sort of process that becomes unconscious. So I think all these things really require you to kind of step out of what you're doing and do something different. I always joke around with my kids a lot. I'm always trying to say things that no one's ever said before. I'm like, hey, there's 7 billion people in the world, but no one has ever said this real random statement. The idea is busting yourself out of the, the pre-programmed matrix. So like, oh, I've gotten a clear here. So I think you got to be a, a little crazy, which in my case has been pretty easy. <laughs> so let's make that everyone's homework for this week after you listen to this. Yeah. Do something just, just a little something different than different. normal. Yeah. A little different than normal, a slight deviation in what you do and then catch yourself on what you're thinking when you do it. Cause the, the trick is that your, your mind, you know, you have your routines, you get up and you're, you're, there could be an energetic element at play, right? If there's spirit guides that maybe aren't helpful or other people whispering in your ear, if they know where you're going to go and what you're going to do every day, then there's no mystery. But if you find a way to sort of do things differently, I think that it mixes things up and it gives you an opportunity to think different thoughts. I, like I don't that. know if it's accurate, but I think it works. It's worked for me. That and walking. That and what? Walking. Walking for me has been unbelievable. I'm an athlete. I love running. I love doing everything. But since I moved to Portland, because uh, I was living very rural before, walking has been a game changer for me. I walk a lot, like five miles a day. And it's it enables me to process. And it gives me exercise. It, it, I can listen to audio books on it. It's been like an absolute game changer for me. Yeah, walking is amazing. It's yeah, very much nature. Mm-hmm. If you're in a relationship, I mean, unfortunately, I got divorced, but I remember the few times with my ex, we were in an argument or disagreement. And when we took a walk, it changed everything. It just changed the tone of it. I think that this, there's this symbology and analogy of like, well, you're moving forward. You're making progress. You're not getting stuck in your thoughts. So I think that same analogy probably holds true with your whole life, right? That if, you, if you're in the same patterns, you want to mix things up, you're not happy. Start doing things a little bit differently. Definitely. I got a lot of unusual comments. One of my videos went viral, which was not necessarily a good thing on Instagram. And it was about this very topic. It had to do with brush your teeth with your left hand, with your yeah. right hand. I should have included left hand for the right hand because, you know, people, you know, once you get a viral video, the, the herd comes in and then it's mm-hmm. like not necessarily as beneficial. But the comments are funny because the whole point of the video was this, right, was to say, hey, bust yourself out of the matrix to do things differently. Open yourself up to new thoughts and idea. And maybe that's enough. Maybe that's a starting point. Yeah. Sure. Cause we if you think about like the first 30 to 60 minutes of your day. People can't even explain what they do. Cause they just do the same thing every single right. day, very right. robotic. And you're not even present in the moment. Exactly. You're not, it's automatic. I mean, doctors, right. I mean, you're just, you're in the same routine every single day. That's going to lend itself to being unconscious. I mean, that's just it. And now this unconscious question is, is weird because you're fully present. Well, I mean, your body's f- fully present but maybe your mind is wherever, right? And so the mind, body, and spirit all in the same place, fully present is a magical place because you can't hold it for very long. I mean, I've always wanted to meet Eckhart because I want to see, all right, how, how long can this guy hold this? You know, because <laughs> no matter what, the, the, the cat's going to scratch him. He's got to go to the path. I mean, things happen. It's going to get you off boat. It doesn't mean that you don't practice mindfulness and, and cultivating a sense of presence. I think it's critical. You know, I think it's really very important. Definitely. And in that process, I mean, we've been hearing a lot more people now talking about like the third eye, right. And like connecting with your third eye. And, you know, even though it's something that we talk about quite often, it's not a mainstream understanding. Not at all. Can you, can you explain for people out there who maybe haven't heard of what the third eye is quite yet? Can you please explain like 
what that means and sure, some sure. practices that we could do on the daily basis to, to connect with our, th- our third eye and like really clear it up as well. Okay. So for me, the perspective of the third eye, I was taught that it's the sixth chakra, it's the pineal gland, it's the center of your head. And so one way of thinking about this as a place, a geographical place in the center of your head, thinking about maybe in times when you're anxious, where does that feel like in your body? Where do you feel that anxiety? Some people feel it at the pit of their stomach. Some people, maybe their chest starts racing, right? So their awareness and a lot of energy goes to those places. So the idea here is to have your awareness and your energy go into the center of your head. And the expectation is that you're seeing, right? Because the third eye really represents seeing spirit or seeing, being able to see the future. I think by simply looking at it from the point of view of awareness rather than seeing, because like when I describe the reading thing that I did before is I very rarely see really crystal clear pictures and very faint at best because I'm trying to apply the analogy of seeing with my third eye that I have with my regular eyes and it's different. It's more of a perceiving thing. So when you talk about third eye, it's more perception. So I, I, I think anyone can get in touch with it. I don't think this is something that requires, you know, some special initiation. I think, it, I think it's, directly connected to your imagination and your use of your imagination to a degree is really the best way to represent what third eye means. And I think that if you can expand the seeing to awareness, I think now, now you're talking. And so one way to cultivate that would be in the analogy we used before when people are triggering you, just being aware and color coding things. Now by color coding it, analogy would be a sports analogy, you know, gosh, you know, I just saw red and then I hit the guy when I blocked, blocked, I don't watch football, but you know, so I, I just saw red and I attacked. So it's the idea of utilizing the color to sort of work in concert with your emotional state to a degree, or at least an energetic state. And so just being aware of doing that from in the center of your head, because the other concept is the pineal gland really represents neutrality. So the things that you see The whole idea of clear seeing is that you're neutral to what you see because these upper chakras are much more driven by uh, spiritual information than they are information of the body. Whereas the third chakra, your solar plexus, or second, your emotional state or first survival are very much related to your physical body. So you go into fear, you go into survival, and that's where that energy is. So another way of doing it is in times of fear, just imagine having that energy come up and come back into your head. It's why meditation is really important and cultivating a practice, at least for moments, because it's hard to do it otherwise, but some people do do it naturally. Do do it. That was probably bad grammar. Anyhow, we'll, we'll delete. So <laughs> no, that's a that, really great way to explain it. Yeah. Yeah. I think that explains it very clearly. I, my goal is to try to demystify it because it really is, it's your ability to be still, have your awareness there. And then what do you see? What do you come up with? And the, if you can minimize your expectations, right? Maybe you only want to just see where you're at, what's going on with me. And then if something pops up, following the story, because a lot of it for me is the stories, stories we tell ourselves, in this case, the stories that we perceive using our our third eye. So I know it's a bit of a charged subject matter because a lot of people have a lot of information on it. But I think merely by trying to look at it through the, the, the prism of imagination and, and awareness, I think that should help. Absolutely. Now, you're clearly a wealth of knowledge on all the topics we spoke about today. And I know you mentioned some books that have helped you along the way. Are there any other books, documentaries, things that have helped you that you could share with us? That's a great question. One book I can highly recommend is The Untethered Soul. That's a great one. That's a great one because it has- I'm reading that now too, actually. I just started it last week. Yeah. What What do you think of it? So far, so good. I only got through like the first few chapters so Mm -hmm. far, but what I notice is I typically like to read for 20 minutes a day. It's like a rule that I give myself. But with this book, I feel like a lot of the topics, like you really need to like sit and digest. So sometimes it's not 20 minutes a day. I'll like read 10 pages and I'm like, I'm not going to keep going until like, I really understand what this means. That's great. Yeah. 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 And it's a great book because it, it takes some Buddhist philosophies and sort of makes them more digestible. And so that one's a really great one because it has to do with awareness and being aware that you're not your thoughts. So it's not necessarily a spiritual one. I'm trying to think of other great spiritual, the power of now is another great one. I'm trying to think of other ones I've read recently. I'm always, you know, I, well, once I found out that listening to audiobooks is the same as reading them, I just listen all the time now, right? I, I don't want to shortchange my, my, my brain uh, exercises that I need to do to remain smart. <laughs> so apparently listening is the same. So I'm trying to think of other ones that I've read recently. 
There's, there's just this one now that I have. I don't have access to it. I'll have to share it with you after the fact. But it's a great book. One of the people that follow me on Facebook referred me to it. And it's all about connecting with your inner voice. So I'm very excited for it because a lot of the work that I've done has really been driven by imagination work. And so this one's much more auditory because that's a whole other thing. I mean, your ability to hear spirit is a very real phenomenon that everyone has. And so developing a relationship that we talked about briefly, similar to the, that we mentioned about hearing guides and whatnot, that I think this, this whole idea of hearing and listening has to relate to science, silence too. So I think it's kind of two birds with one stone. I'll have to share it with you after the fact. So sorry about that. That's okay. Yeah. Please share it with us so we can share it with everyone. Yeah. I'm excited for it. I'm very excited. Yeah. Now, one question we love to ask all of our guests is if you could have tea with anyone, dead or alive, who would it be and why? Wow, that's a very good question. Okay, who would I want to have tea with and why? I don't know. I guess maybe Plato or Socrates. Mm. I'm a big fan of their work, but just such an intellectual and understanding of human existence. Can I get both of them? I'll just choose Socrates. Plato was a student, so we'll just say, sorry, Plato. Um, so... I think they would be interesting to talk to, but I, 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 that's a, that's a great question. I, I'm going to say Socrates for now, but I reserve the right to, to give him a rain check. <laughs> it's a good answer. Now for anyone out there that wants to learn more about your work or potentially get in touch with you and do a reading, where are the best places to reach you at? Well, I'm on social media underneath my name at Todd Grosby or my website that I just started after getting rid of my old one is also toddgrosby.com. I have to sit there and think about that. Yeah. ToddGrosby.com or at Todd Grosby. So just my first and last name. Amazing. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. I learned so much from our conversation today, as well as all the great content that you put out there. And I really appreciate your time. And I hope this conversation will help people stop doubting that inner voice if they are yeah. connected with it and like trusting their intuition a bit more and like seeing where that leads them. Cause you never know what the future holds. Absolutely. And it was a pleasure. I really appreciate you having me on. It was really quite enjoyable. Thanks for joining us on our episode with Todd Grosby. Todd shared such great tips with us on how we can connect with our inner voice. And I'm super excited to start focusing more on this and allowing myself to make decisions based on my intuition. As always, if you have any questions, please email us at podcast at drinkdowntoearth.com or get in touch with us on our Instagram at drinkdte. In the meantime, stay healthy and stay hydrated. Cheers. Now it's time for you to go out there and do at least one small thing to better your health today. Always choose to make your life a healthier, happier, and a more down-to-earth place. Until next time. Cheers to good health.